Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Our gospel reading today opens with Peter asking that great question. A question we've all actually asked, haven't we? A question that I've been personally dealing with this last week in my own life. When it comes to forgiveness, where is the line in the sand? You know, when it comes to forgiveness, how much forgiveness is too much forgiveness? Where does the leash on this forgiveness thing actually come to an end? The rabbinic tradition of Jesus' day out of the Talmud taught that a person was required to, uh, and, and in certain Jewish circles even still today, they are taught that one must forgive a person three times before you're allowed to retaliate. And so when Peter says, Jesus, how about if we, uh, you know, seven, seven times? I mean, that sounds like a real generous answer. Seven, the number of perfection, that sounds like a perfect answer. Seven, the number associated with divinity, that sounds like a divine answer. I mean, when you think about it, Peter takes the number three, he not only doubles it, but he adds one. He's like, we're taking this to a whole new level. What about seven times, Jesus? And when you think about it, this is a big deal because this would require a person to forgive someone once a day. Once a day. And Jesus says, no. No. It's 70 times seven. Now what he means here is not 490 times. What he means is seven to the point of utter completeness several times. I mean, think about it. When you get to 360 times and a half, who's keeping track anymore? But this is utter completeness when Jesus talks about forgiveness. And this is my first point. When Jesus is talking about forgiveness here in this passage with God, uh, what he is trying to get across, and what he's been trying to get across through all of Matthew 18, is that no matter who you are, what you've done, are doing or will do or continue to repeat to do, when it comes to God, forgiveness keeps no count. Forgiveness keeps no records of wrong. Freely we are forgiven. Freely we forgive. Isn't that amazing? I mean, isn't that great? Yes, absolutely until I actually have to take forgiveness out of the realm of hypothetics and actually apply it to my life. Then it becomes a whole big mess. I'd rather talk about inclusion, rather talk about love, rather talk about everything else except for forgiveness. And the truth is, the reason why, I'm not talking about you, I'm going to talk about me, but the truth is, is that even though I'm terrible at accounting, when it comes to transgressions, I'm an amazing bookkeeper. I mean, my pencil is sharp, and my spreadsheet is always laid out before me, and I love to replay all the times I've been slighted over and over and over in my head, and then by myself, I like to take those grudges and I nurse them, and the infractions, I cultivate them, and I become become like Gollum from Lord of the Rings with the ring, my precious. And I love them and I hate them and I find myself, I can't get out of this loop. 
and I begin to ponder as it consumes me all of the ways I've been hurt and will continue to be hurt by the ripple effects of this offense. And I say to myself, boy, that is it. You know, we're all about grace, but if that person ever shows their face here at Calvary St. George's again, they're out of here. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to defriend them on Facebook right after this service. That'll show them. But seriously, imagine right now, just think in your head, the person you cannot forgive. Maybe for you, it's your brother. Maybe for you, it's your sister. Maybe for you, it's your ex-wife or your ex-husband. Think about it. Maybe for you, it's a former business partner or a boss who took you to the bank. Maybe for you, it's the kid who picked on you in the seventh grade, and that wound cut deep. Think about them right now. Picture that person in your life who did you wrong and how it's affected you, and picture them totally forgiven. On our own, we hate it. And this is my second point. When you take this concept of forgiveness and you take it out of the realm of speculation and conjecture and you begin to read this parable honestly and allow it to open you up and diagnose your life, you begin to understand that you are, or at least your minister, is a little closer to that unforgiving slave than you might have thought. When you take forgiveness real forgiveness, gospel forgiveness, forgiveness that is the cornerstone and defines Christianity, and you take that out of the realm of conjecture and hypothetics, and you read this parable through that lens, you begin to understand that God actually abhors unforgiveness. And he abhors unforgiveness. Here's why. Because unforgiveness actually sets us up, his creatures, against God. And it sets us up against God because we ourselves begin to define ourselves as God. And there will be no other God but the God of Israel. And as we set ourselves up as God, what we do is we hold the world and all of those transgressions and all of those people hostage with our own forgiveness and, repent, and, and, uh, and um, resentments. And you begin to then really get at this parable. And you see, this parable, what it's teaching us, when we read it, typically what happens is people read 70 times 7, they skim the parable really quick, and then they come right to the end. And so it will be for anyone who doesn't forgive from their heart. And we interpret this parable as a parable of transaction, which is not the gospel at all. Like, I'll do my part, and then maybe God will forgive me a little bit. And what this parable is actually teaching profoundly is it is teaching the complete and total rejection of God's grace and forgiveness And when we reject God's grace and his forgiveness, how that actually plays out and affects our lives. Take a look at the text. Jesus says 70 times 7. For this reason, that's the key to understand this parable, for this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with slaves. 
And one of these slaves, he owed the king, it says, 10,000 talents. This is a ludicrous number. I mean, this is over $10 million still today. And his punishment was harsh. It not only affected him, but who else did it affect? It affected his entire family and everyone associated with this slave. This is an illustration of original sin. This debt is deep and it's affected everyone. However, what happens here? The slave falls on his knees and says, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now we begin to read this because this is how we naturally think and especially in terms of God. We think of him in terms of the law and transaction. And we think God deals with us via transactions and out of this transaction that somehow like, okay, this is all made new. And this is killer. To operate with transaction in mind when it comes to God is it's killer because it fools us into thinking that we are right with God on the basis of our own merit, on the basis of what we do. And you see, if you perceive yourself as right with God on the basis of your own action, when someone else slights you, your response may not be the same as the slave, but mentally, and remember the mental state is the same as the action, but mentally, you hold a grudge until it's all paid back. I actually believe this is why the political discourse in our country is so toxic and so awful. Because everyone is operating from a place of intrinsic righteousness and somehow that they are standing on their own two feet as opposed to, God have mercy on me, a sinner. But we're dealing with ourselves as if we have some sort of intrinsic righteousness which we do not possess. And so we treat each other, and we've been treating each other in this country as our own tyrannical gods. However, notice, what does the king do? This is how sinners operate. He's like, have mercy on me, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all back. But notice, the king doesn't strike a deal with this slave. He doesn't say, put it there. You know, you got three weeks to pay me back. Now, what does the scripture say? It says, out of pity for him. Out of pity. Because the servant asked for grace. The king gave him grace. And so the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him completely. This is an illustration of the God who dies, that dies to our paying back debts. The Lord died to the debt which would have required not only the slave, but the slave's whole family to pay him back. He dies. The great Episcopal theologian and chef, Robert Farah Capon, when commenting on this parable, writes, None of our debts, none of our sins, none of our trespasses, none of our errors will ever be an obstacle to the grace that raises the dead. At the most, they will be the measure of our death. And as soon as we die, they too will be dead because our Lord, the King, has already died to them. That is good news. And this is my third point. I need forgiveness, and so do you. And in Christ Jesus, it's all been given to you. 
The king drops dead to the whole business of payback and forgiveness. And this is payback for forgiveness. And this is how it works in the kingdom of God. This is how Jesus on the cross actually works. Jesus fulfills the law and he pays your debts by dying on the cross for us. It's not, okay, next time do better. It's not, okay, uh, I know you've got this issue with God, but tomorrow you're going to turn over a new leaf. The gospel says clearly, Jesus has died for you, Jesus has risen for you, and your sins, your debts, which you cannot pay, have been totally forgiven. So repent and believe the gospel. Let me close with this, because how does this play out then in our lives? Because practically speaking, here's the thing. When you bind others to their debts in the name of our own rights to life and justice, we actually cut ourselves off from the joy of God's grace working through us. Hear me. Hear me today. The cross not only breaks into the forgiveness of my external trespasses. And this parable puts a whole new weight on forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But the cross forgives those external trespasses that I've done, but it also calls me and comes in by the Holy Spirit. It calls me to believe and have faith that the evil that this world throws at us, the evil that has been done to us by family, co-worker, spouse, etc., That God has and will and is taking it all up into his wounded hands and has forgiven it and he is redirecting it for good to those who love Christ Jesus and he will, by virtue of his death and resurrection, make all things right. The trespass against us, when touched by God's grace, also pulls us up out of ourself and draws us to the cross of Jesus. And by his grace enables us to transfer that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh, a new heart that forgives those who trespass against us. And it becomes, the gospel becomes an enabling word that God actually uses in justice for good. And not just good, but to make all things new. Look at the cross, the injustice of the cross. We learn that God can and will use injustice to bring about your salvation, to bring about my salvation, and he's done it to bring about the salvation of the whole world. So in a moment, I invite you today as we come up around this altar, I want you today to bring up all of your resentments. I want you to bring up all of your anger, And I want you to bring up all of your debts that you're still carrying with you. And as you receive the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood, I want you to bring it all up, all of the anger, all of the resentments, and I want you to leave it right here. And I want you to know that you, because of Jesus, have been forgiven. And I want you to know as you come up to be forgiven freely and to freely forgive. Not three times, not seven times, but seven times seventy. And know at least for a moment, a moment, 
the freedom that comes with being a child of God. Amen. I want you today to bring up all of your resentments. I want you to bring up all of your anger. And I want you to bring up all of your debts that you're still carrying with you. And as you receive the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood, I want you to bring it all up, all of the anger, all of the resentments, and I want you to leave it right here. And I want you to know that you, because of Jesus, have been forgiven. And I want you to know as you come up to be forgiven freely and to freely forgive. Not three times, not seven times, but seven times seventy. And know at least for a moment, a moment, the freedom that comes with being a child of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.